Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 359 of the podcast. My name is Carrie Newhoff, and I hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before. Well, I'm so glad to have Levi Lusco back on the podcast. I think this is his fourth appearance. He was on last month in a composite episode that, uh, well, with his wife, Jenny, and with Albert Tate and Nicole Martin. He's back solo today, and we talk about the future church and all kinds of things. And this, I thought, was one of the best conversations I've had this year about what the future church might look like. So if you're interested in that stuff and there's application for business too, uh, you're gonna love this episode. And today's episode is brought to you by Glue. Speaking of the future church, uh, if you wanna learn more about your church's online audience so that you can better engage them, you would be shocked at what you could find by going to glueinsights.com forward slash carry. That's G-L-O-O insights.com forward slash C-A-R-E-Y, glueinsights.com forward slash carry. And by Pro Media Fire, our friends at Pro Media Fire will get you professional help for your digital media needs. By going to promediafire.com forward slash carry, you can get 10% off plans for life. So it's a pretty transparent and really honest conversation with Levi and I. He is the Fresh Life Church founder, best-selling author, and uh, he comes back to the podcast to talk about, uh, well, pretty transparently about dealing with adrenaline letdown after uh, COVID hit, what the future church might look like, and why he's thinking church will become digital default. I would agree with him on that. He is the founding and lead pastor of Fresh Life Church in Montana, Wyoming, Oregon, and Utah. You folks from Oregon, tell me if I said that right. Because you know how Canadians say Oregon? They say Oregon. That's how I always said it. And then I went to Oregon and they're like, no, it's like the musical instrument, Oregon. Like, so I think I got that right. Anyway, if not, you will let me know. Uh, Levi is a best-selling author of Through the Eyes of a Lion, Swipe Right, I Declare War. He travels throughout the world speaking about Jesus. He and his wife, Jenny, have some wonderful kids. And uh, man, it's just a joy to be with him again. And as you know, COVID-19 disrupted how people relate with one another and in many ways accelerated the church's need to engage with people online. But that complicates things because you're probably wondering like, who the heck are these people? I have 318 people watching. I don't know who they are. Or you have 3,000 or 30,000 people watching and you're like, I have, I have no idea. So there's a brand new thing I'm so excited about called Insights Plus. It's from our friends at Glue. It removes the confusion and helps you bridge the digital gap and restore connection between you and your people. You will actually be able to see who's viewing your website, know if they're members or visitors, see where they are locally or nationwide, and re-engage them with next steps. Yep, that's all possible now. So gain clarity on your online audiences so you can take action and reach the right people with the right message online or in person. If you want to learn more, go to glueinsights.com forward slash carry. That's G-L-O-O insights.com forward slash carry, C-A-R-E-Y. And then our good friends at Promedia Fire have been helping so many churches get through this digital divide that they faced because you went online and as much as you wish the coronavirus was going away, you know online is gonna be a part of your future. So if you're a leader of a church between 500 and 5,000 members, 
Here's what you're probably experiencing. Your digital church team is at a max. Your social media team can't keep up with the need for content. Your creative team is overwhelmed and you're cautious about spending money with new staff to help because like who knows about this economy, right? So there's a solution and Pro Media Fire will help. If you want to hire an entire creative team of professionals for less than the cost of a staff hire, uh, you can do it. And the best part is the plans are month to month. You're not like signing up for 15 years or forever. So if you want to get your team help today with professional graphics, videos, and content, and you want to help your church navigate the season of digital expansion, go to promediafire.com forward slash carry, C-A-R-E-Y, get 10% off plans for life. So even though you don't sign up for life, if you choose to use it for a long time, you'll get 10% off as long as you stay a customer at promediafire.com forward slash carry. I love it that our partners are so generous with our podcast audience. And you guys know, we only choose or select partners that we believe in. We have many people saying, hey, can I advertise? And the answer sometimes is uh, no, because we want to go with the people we know and uh, your support of them means the world to us. So I've got a what I'm thinking about segment. I want to talk about your health. I found this whole interview fascinating, but particularly Levi's talk about just the, the change inside him. And I want to talk about you and why time off just doesn't work in terms of being able to restore your um, stress level and your health and your emotional and spiritual health. So we'll talk about that at the end of the show. In the meantime, my conversation with Levi Lusco. Levi, welcome back to the podcast. It's so great to have you. Kerry, thanks for having me. I want to start because I, I love asking leaders this question, not because I love what's happening, but because I love to see how different people respond. But I'd love to know how the the crisis, you know, here we are in month four, really rolling over to month four as we record this at a layer later, how it's impacted you, uh, your family, and how it's impacted Fresh Life Church. Yeah, wow. Gosh. Um, you know, it's funny is I, when we first started hearing glimmers of it, I was, you know, you start first, it was all the China, it was all in China, you know, Ch this Chinese mm -hmm. things, yeah. Chinese, yeah. you know, virus and you're hearing about it. And I remember seeing a clip of like, I don't know if it was manufactured or not of like drones going around China, dumping out antiseptic on streets, you know, and like, I mean, like what in the heck? It just Some seemed like it was, movie, right? yeah. it was like, what is this? What is, what is even happening? And then, uh, and then it started becoming like more and more and more. And, uh, when it finally really started getting crazy, I was headed to Seattle and that was, then it was really starting to show up in Seattle and some of the retirement homes. And I was literally flying there that weekend for a church commitment. And I got some counsel from some friends and they're like, look, I don't recommend you bail on a church that needs, that's booked you and promoted you coming, but at least call the senior pastor and see if he'd be willing to, you know, I understand if you are wanted to postpone my coming. So I did that. I called him and said, Hey, I don't, I, I, I don't understand if you wanted to have me later. He's like, no, nah, we're moving forward with the service. You know? So I was like, okay, so let your yes be yes. So I got on the plane and, uh, it was really an unsettled feeling on the plane flying to the mouth of the beast, you know, Seattle. And, uh, so spoke, woke up the next morning, Seattle has prohibited any gatherings over 250 overnight, you know? So it was like, I was the last person to preach. Still, I'm the last person to preach at that church. They haven't reopened wow. yet. Then I flew that Wednesday to Chicago. I had to speak in Chicago that Wednesday. And same exact thing happened, except this time, while I was speaking, the mayor during my message said, no, no gatherings over 50 or whatever it was. 
So I'm, I'm still the last person to have preached in that church live. Wow. And then I came home and Montana still hadn't shut down because we're late to the game. You know, we, we're, we're socially distanced by way of life. <laughs> so I preached at our church that Sunday and I'm the last person to preach at my church. So in that season, I was, I was kind of like, you know, just zipping under the wire in all three instances. And now so I Levi Lusco shut down America. Now we know. I, I was how just going to say happened. it. I know I may have been single-handedly the responsible party for spreading the coronavirus around the country, but I will say this. I haven't been on a plane since that flight home from Chicago, and that was back in March. So it's the longest gap in 15 years with no air travel, which is so strange. What is that like? Because I'm the same way. I flew back from Atlanta March 10th, the day, you know, and the next day the dominoes all started falling, and that was it. That was my last flight. I was. Have you traveled since? No? No, no. Yeah, it's been a weird thing. Like, uh, you see, um, you know, I'll see my suitcase, you know, come across, come across it in the, in the spare bedroom closet and be like, what in the world? Like what is happening? But at the same time, it has been, I've been playing so much more tennis. I've Mm. been, you know, biking a lot. I've been, I've been so much more, um, you know, doing things that are hard pre- that you're hard pressed to do when you're always going, going, going. Yeah. But I'll yeah. T- I'll tell you, Carrie, though, it's been also a weird thing because I've I've also had to deal with an incredible um, amount of adrenaline in my system that normally I would be using. You know, there's an adrenaline rush to an airplane takeoff mm-hmm. and landing. There is um, excitement, you know, in going into an engagement, speaking to a crowd, going into a hotel room. There's 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 dopamine in all of that. So, you know, I felt like I was in sort of like a, an an adrenaline uh, withdrawal and I found it like in my system, but needing to go somewhere. So what'd you do with that? Uh, I had, um, more counseling appointments than normal. I got, I, I, I legitimately did. I mean, I'm not joking. I had, you know, I, I booked multiple times. I just needed to process it because I, I found myself, um, I didn't love what came out. I didn't love what came out in my own heart, my spirit, um, in, in the way I was handling that stress. And so I, I made it a rule for 30 days. I took a walk every day, regardless of the weather. There was one day where it was sub zero, you know, and went blowing wind, but I put, and I took my son, my two and a half year old son. So my wife could have a break. He's three now, now that this is airing in August, in August, but, um, uh, you know, I put a windshield over the stroller. We have this like plexi, you know, windshield thing that can go over the stroller. And I, I went out and I found that the long walks with no cell phone were incredibly restorative to me. I journaled more. And, it, you know, I think this has exposed idols that I didn't even realize were idols inside. I was going to say, what is underneath that? Yeah, because if you don't mind going there, because, yeah, we're all learning stuff about ourselves. And I think, I think there's a lot of narcissism, obviously, in all of our hearts. Um, I think I think for me, too, it's just the... I like the intensity and I like the war mode. I like the, you know, I, I thrive on that, the exhilaration and rush of that next thing, you know? Um, and I think to some degree, there's been an, an amount of, he makes me to lie down in green pastures that I've been having to walk through. Wow. And it must be, I mean, strange for you because the rush of Sunday has changed too, right? Gathering. I mean, you're still preaching, you're still communicating, but you don't have the rush of Sunday either. The pressure of Sunday or the rush of Sunday has that impacted you in some ways? You know that um, that didn't go anywhere because for me that pressure of of, of writing that sermon, that intensity, um, 
it, it builds up, you know, I, my joke is, you know, as a preacher, you have a baby on Sunday, you have to get pregnant on Monday and no one wants to get pregnant the day after they had a baby. But that's how Mondays feel sometimes, right? I mean, you're yeah. having to recreate again, um, life in, in this essence in your womb of, of a message of, of something you're wanting to deliver, right? They literally call the sermon birth deli- delivery. Yeah, that's a great analogy. I don't want to get pregnant, you know, but uh-huh. that's what studying is for me on Monday. And, uh, you know, I still have found the intensity of that blinking red light, the, the tag light on the camera and the YouTube comments. I found that to be still, um, very, very, very meaningful and very exciting. I, I've okay, definitely good. had to pivot, but, but we started capturing messages. Um, we had one advantage in the, in the whole thing. And that was that when we, pr- when we planted fresh life, um, I was in in series by getting invitations to speak and we I talked to one of our board members about it and he actually said, you know, why do you want to do guest speakers so often? You know, it interrupts the flow of a series. He goes, why don't you just go into the building when it's empty and record the sermon? And then when you're gone, you could just play that video. And this was before we were multi-site. This was before I knew of anybody else doing it. I mean, I'm sure Craig Rochelle or Andy Stanley or somebody was doing it, but this would have been, you know, 2000 uh, nine, early in 2009. And I was like, that's an interesting idea. So I, it, maybe it'll work. So I went into the theater and I, it was like nine o'clock at night, had the video guy and the sound guy in there. And I just preached my message, explained to the church what I was doing. I said, Hey, I got us to speak of this thing. So I'm recording this message on a Thursday night at nine. You're listening to it on a Sunday, but I said, but it's based on God's word, which was written 2000 years ago. So hmm. let's just, let's see how this works. People got saved. Some people didn't like it. Some people did. And it really taught us like, oh, we could use this tool of video in a unique way. So I've been doing it for a long time. So that to me was kind of old hat. Yeah, yeah. What, um, how's this been for your family to have you home that much to, what are you learning about that? I think my wife would say I've been home a little too much. I think she, (laughs) we were joking that, you know, we had to find a new rhythm because absence makes the heart grow fonder. And we had kind of relied on that, I think. I think it caused us to, you can get a little bit, you know that when you were a kid and you would do a sleepover at your friend's house and then he would sleep at yours and then the third night you would be in a fist fight? Uh-huh. There can be to some extent that in a marriage because Jenny and I, we worked together, we lived together. So I think we had to find uh, a, a way through it that wasn't, you know, I'm, I'm not leaving and you know what I mean? And neither was she. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, do you, were your kids in school or were they homeschooled or how did that work? So a combination. So my yeah. oldest daughter uh, is in school. She um, is starting as a freshman next year and she's going out for the tennis team, really excited, but she was heartbroken. She is an extrovert, mm-hmm. needs people, craves people, and it was driving her crazy to be home. And then my two daughters uh, are homeschooled and life didn't change very much for them. Yeah, you know, I've talked to so many parents and our kids are in their 20s now, but so many parents whose kids, particularly daughters, are just like just hating it because they miss their mm-hmm. friends. They love their parents and being home, but they really, really miss their friends. So anything else about just the personal disruption that this has wrought? Anything that you are learning? Anything that you would say, no, this is something I'm really paying attention to right now. Uh, the biggest thing I'm learning, Carrie, right now is just um, is that power of um, deactivating your normal tendencies. So, like I said, I love that war drum. I love that beat of like you know. And I, I've I've really been learning a lot lately about how to turn that off. Mm. And um, 
my, my counselor made a reference to me. She, she said it as a joke, but I took it as like, oh gosh, that's a real assignment I'll have to really pray to do. She said, you should make waffles and not follow the mix on the back of the box, you know, like not follow the, the rules. Cause like, to me, that's, you know, it's, it's easy to, to approach even a vacation or a family day with military precision and forethought and planning and intentionality, uh, because of that, that's just how I thrive. And she's like, you need to make the next time you make waffles, not follow the recipe. Just, huh. just let the kids throw what they want to throw in there, you know? And it's like, that, that's to me is I'm learning the power of that. So, you know, even just like yesterday, just sitting in the moment, not thinking about what time it is, not thinking about the day ahead of me, not thinking about things I want to get done or not even reveling in the productivity of the day's work, you know, cause how I'm wired, um, I can't really feel good about myself without a sense of accomplishment, but that's not healthy. And so when, when your self image is attached to your productivity, because to me, productivity might as well be called heroin. You know, hmm. like I feel like if I got some stuff done, I feel good about myself. And if I didn't, I don't. And so learning to expose that as idolatry and lean into my identity as a son of the king. And then from there, let that work flow out is, is, is a healthy thing for me. You're, you sound like a planner. You sound like an organizer. You sound like you had everything mapped out. You're busy all the time. And you were just kind of moving from this to that, to this, to that. Is that, is that fair characterization? Yeah. It's, it's very hard for me to not see off into the future, the next thing. Yep. And so, you know, the tour, uh, the, you know, we had a tour, uh, 13 city bus tour that got rescheduled. Um, the, the speaking engagements, the, the vacation, all those things like that's, that's how I am. And on an unhealthy, when I'm, when I'm, when I'm unhealthy, um, those things, I build them up in my mind, especially the day off the, the trip away. And, and so, um, yeah, that's definitely what you said is, is, is fair to say. Yeah. And you know, it's interesting because I've spent some time with Henry cloud. He's, he's going to be on the show this summer or has been on the show, depending on when everything airs. He was just talking about, you know, the, the huge, change of pace for all of us. And one of the things he talked about, and this is something I learned after I burned out because I could not sit still in my 30s. And then God made me sit still. I'm like, okay, that's what burnout does, right? And uh, and um, learning the contemplative life. He mentioned Tony Blair, who when he was prime minister of England would uh, find a pond and sit there for half a day. And Warren Buffett's made it a discipline for, you know, seven, eight decades to stare out of the window for an hour and a half every day. It sounds like you're doing a little bit more of that, some contemplative, some quiet stuff. Uh, anything you can share from what you're learning in those moments? Yes. Um, I would echo everything you're saying. Um, I've never stared out of a window in my entire life. So that is <laughs> incredibly uh, challenging. But I, I think I learned uh, if I don't take those walks without my phone, if I, even just like little tiny tweaks. So like when I wake up, I go downstairs every morning and I light a fire and I make a pot of coffee and I have my journal, my book, my Bible, my devotional. And then after that, I have whatever two books that I'm reading. Like right now it's a book on Roosevelt and a book um, that my staff and I are going to be going through this summer. We're doing a Zoom every week. For, we normally would have a big advance where everyone comes in, but instead we're doing a book club where we're going to read through and talk through a book every week together as a, as a team. Wow. Um, so I'm working through that. 
if I leave my phone upstairs in the room where it woke me up, you know, as an alarm and don't touch it until after that hour of, you know, time with, with the Holy Spirit and then an hour of reading. And then I go upstairs, get it. And I put a podcast on when I make my breakfast. That to me is an incredibly, um, that, that, that is all the difference in, in the day going with me at, the, at my best and at my worst. So I've not touched Instagram. I've not been on email. I've not, you know, read a text message. And the only time I violate it, I always regret it. Mm. So for example, I preached on racism this last Sunday. Um, obviously, you know, at this moment, we're going through so much with, with, with protesting and riots and it's all that, that conversation on race. And I, I gave a message talked about what, what, what in my mind white privilege is and how I found it in the Bible in Esther. Esther has position. You have privilege. Esther, it's not bad that you have it. And I think a lot of people are very defensive about privilege. Like, oh, I don't have it. Or you're trying, as though someone were trying to take it away from me. But Mordecai wasn't trying to take away Esther's privilege. He was trying to tell her to leverage it for the other people in her life who didn't have it. And so I gave a sermon to our church and I just said, hey, look, whether I, I view myself as a Caucasian white pastor, someone with privilege. But that's not bad. That's just, that means I need to use that privilege for the oppressed and those who don't have that. And, uh, you know, uh, I, the next morning I violated my own rule. I, I grabbed my phone and while I was getting my coffee ready, I, re I flipped open to my emails, little nagging voice said, what are you doing? You know, but it's like those things we, we ignore to our detriment. First email guy in our church who uh, has been a part of our church for a long time. I'm disappointed in you as the subject. And then he went on to tell me why he was leaving the church over this particular message. And it's so funny how that, of, of course, was the thing that brought me into that tailspin emotionally. Um, and uh, so I find if I'm able to let God's voice be the first voice I listen to, I'm just a better version of myself for the day. Hmm. Thanks for sharing so deeply and so personally. I, I think you're reading a lot of people's mail right now. And uh, I just appreciate the fact, because so often, Levi, you know, in stories, it's like, well, you know, I had this tough season, but that was years ago, and now I'm great. And I just think it's great to be able to go together uh, with you in real time through this. So thank you for sharing that. Sure. I'd love to know no, if we, I, go ahead. Well, no, I, did, I, I, I think I, I relate to other people who are honest about their dysfunction, you know, not to glorify that. I think it can be the other side of it where it's like, like too much of a big deal. Look at what I a mess I am. Like, yeah. 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 Or, or, or even like, I don't know, sort of like a, if you, if you aren't struggling, you're not somehow, you know, good. There are seasons where, I, where we're great. And I think to be, to be real about that too is important times of blessing, times of like, there, there's times when you just feel wonderful and you're doing good. And I think we should be able to celebrate that too, mountaintops and valleys. But I, I think to the extent that we're willing to be real about the hardships we're facing, people will relate to us more. Hmm. Love to switch gears a little bit and talk to you about that moment when you realized you couldn't meet at your church and your locations and you have many locations, you're in four states. What was your first reaction when you knew you weren't going to be able to meet physically at your locations? I went through a range, a spectrum. Um, I went through the, the, the hell we aren't, you yeah, know, yeah. <laughs> like the, the, you know, you, my mind flashed to the book of Acts, you know, whether it's right to listen to you or not, I don't know. You know, so I was there and then I was, well, hold on a second. What kind of a witness would that be? And, you know, I went through a lot of different things. I was in an airport, of course, when I first was told like this might be coming. I was in the Denver airport and it was Portland. Our, our church in Portland was the first to be told they couldn't meet. 
and then they all quickly followed suit. Um, but when, when that first, that first came, I was like, this, this can't be real. Like, this is so surreal. And then, but then I was like, I, I almost felt like a great sense of like, well, we've been in training for this, but didn't know it, hmm. you know, thank God for, for what we have. But I, and I guess then I kind of quickly went, what about the church that I thought about church plants right away too. You know, so we made it a priority within the first two Sundays to find a church plant that maybe didn't have infrastructure systems, was portable, and we covered a couple months of their expenses so that they could use whatever money they needed to to buy some video cameras or whatever. So I, I guess I, I kind of was all over the place. Wow. So you were kind of all over the place. What, um, and you're right. I mean, you were probably positioned. You had a strong church, a large ministry. You had budget, uh, probably a little bit of money in the bank and that kind of thing. Um, what has the impact to date? Because as we're recording this, you're still not open in your physical locations. Um, do you have the option to be open and you just chose not to be, or how is that working? I know it's complicated with four states and multiple jurisdictions. Sure. Well, every state's different. We we don't think there will be any gatherings in Oregon anytime this summer. It looks like yeah. it'll be fall before there's anything that we're able to do of, of, of um, in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, they are because there's such a small sheltered community taking it very seriously. So there's been more restrictions in Jackson than even mm. in the greater state of Wyoming. Um, Montana is as as the time of, of recording this in phase two. We could have church with social distancing. We could have church with a limited percentage of people in the building. All those masks and six foot distance and even ushering people to their seats. Otherwise, the risk, of course, is that someone would get it and you'd get a lawsuit and be liable because you didn't respond to the CDC yep. recommendations. So at this point, we've just said, like, we're not going to do it until there's hmm. not restrictions. You know, I, I, I'm i comfortable with us staying. And right now we're doing watch parties in Montana. Up to 50 people can be in a, in a space. Um, and then and people are liking that. We call it church online together. Yeah. So if you want to watch church with 49 other people, you get to, we, I don't, I don't preach it live, but it's still video, but you're doing it with other human beings. I don't think there's an urgency to get back. I mean, I think what I told our church was business is rushing and scrambling to get open. Why? Because mm -hmm. business is broken. That gym is going to go out of business for good if they don't get open. So they have to, I said, the church can't be broken. So we can serve our city by being reluctant to rush in and let people's visits out be either to go buy a car or go to a spa or whatever and, and spend some money in a business that's going to potentially go under without that. And we can continue to meet online and thrive and be the church we, we were born to be. What uh, kind of reaction has, uh, or, or I guess results have you seen online? Because you had metrics before. You, were, you had church online before. You would podcast your messages, et cetera, et cetera. Have you seen a spike? Was it flat? Like, what, just tell us a little bit of the narrative. Yeah. Well, we're definitely impacting more people online than we would have, mm -hmm. than we were before this. And we're, and more people are watching online than would have been in a physical location. That being said, I think, uh, the, 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 the reality is what, the first week and the second week numbers were have been gradually declining all throughout this pandemic. And that, that is I, everybody I talked to, um, you know, with a few exceptions, you know, there's a few that, uh, you know, elevation and, you know, transformation church that are just on a different level. They're like, you know, the Joe Rogan podcast, practically, you know, they're just <laughs> exactly, ridiculous. Exactly. 
but uh, we have seen engagement wane. Now that normally happens every summer for us anyway, as the, the weather gets bright and warm, fewer people watch uh, and, and fewer people are, are, you know, in, in, in seats than would be normally because they're out kayaking or whatever. But at the same time, you know, I do see that the novelty and the, you know, at first very, this is a shiny new object. Uh, you, this, it has been settled. Has it settled to the level where it's lower than it would have been, say, a year ago in the summer? Or uh, are, are you just thinking it's normal seasonal attrition? Or do you have any theories on that? Well, we're way above what year over year would be, but not... Ah, there you go. But yeah. not pre-COVID first couple weeks is what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're already up year over year. You're probably up to over where you were pre-COVID, but it's just not quite the heights that you had in those first few weeks. But I think that's what crisis does, right? I'm sure exactly. the news ratings aren't yep. what they were in that first week of global shutdown either, right? Sure. The churches after 9-11, right? I mean, all, all those analogies mm-hmm. of everyone's, you know, spirituality, you know, becoming a fever pitch and then eventually, you know, just get settling back down to normal. I'm kind of glad we're having this conversation before you're exercising the option to reopen, because I would love to capture this moment in time to think about what your factors or criteria will be when you decide to reopen. You kind of hinted at it earlier, but could you drill down on that a little bit? Like when what what will need to be true for you to say, great, church is back on in person? Yeah, well, I mean... I consider what we're doing now with our 50 person watch parties, you know, that are all over the state of Montana. I consider that to be open. Yeah, I mean, you're, if, if you're yeah. with 49 people and you're watching church, you're worshiping. That's, I feel like that is powerful. And I feel like that to me gives us a um, toe in the waters comfort level. But I, for whatever reason, I just felt like I don't want to see church uh, with, mm-hmm. with restrictions. I don't want to see our gatherings with masks and, Maybe my, maybe my song will change if this drags on for eight months, you know, and maybe we will have to develop that as a society. I guess I just would rather have when people return to our, our theaters and our actual gatherings that they are not, um, going to involve memories of caution tape over rows. I, I made the decision when I went to Qdoba, when Qdoba finally opened and I walked in, they had the crime scene tape over every other table. And I just looked around and thought, I don't like this. I don't want to be in here. I'll take my food to go need it at home or eat it on a bench on, on a park to, to sit in a room. You know, I'm sitting at a table, but the table next to me has got the yellow caution tape over it. I just was like, I don't want that to be a member, a taste people have in their mouths. Isn't that interesting? You know, I don't want to read too much into this, but you and I talked about flying. I've talked to a lot of my friends about flying and, you know, I've got people who definitely want me to jump on a plane. I can't right now because our border's still locked down. But I have the same thought process in my mind when it comes to airplanes. And I'm like top tier status at Air Canada. But I'm like, I don't want to get on if every other seat is empty and if everyone has to wear masks and if like my water is handed to me in a bottle and my food is in a box and, you know, you have to get a temperature scan before you get on, which I understand may be here to stay. But there's something in my psychology that says I'd rather stay home than fly under those conditions. And I don't know what that is. That might be like three counseling appointments away from figuring out what that is. But I think you're on to, I think you're articulating something That's really funny. that is somehow in the ether because even churches that are reopening, at least in these early days, are discovering that their numbers are shockingly low when they reopen. This imagined like rush back to church in the auditorium. 
any thoughts on on like a drill down on that that people kind of want like churches they knew it as opposed to these abysmally low numbers that we're seeing in these early days of reopening yeah i don't know um i think what would i what would i want would i want to come in with a mask on and you know be told you may now go into the bathroom because there are half as many people as there are sinks in there i just i feel like I would almost rather the, the experience online with your kids uh, watching a kid's YouTube video after the, you know, the regular worship service, like I feel like that at least, and, and, and then inviting friends over like part of it too, is I think I don't want to, I don't want to fight a battle I can't win. And if I open up a service that I don't know, if there's a level of mystery, I, I would just rather have it be, um, uh, I, I hear you. I don't know. I, I just feel like it's in my gut. What, I mean, how, how do you feel about it? I tend to agree. I've seen some of the pictures online of like super socially distanced worship. And listen, there are leaders I respect who are reopening at the first opportunity. So I'm not saying this is black and white or right and wrong at all. Uh, but I am saying, uh, I'm kind of with you on that one. It's like not wanting to fly until at least it's not as weird as it appears to be right now. And this is someone who's flown. And of course, no matter what, no matter what decision you make, you get, yeah. you know, you take shots from both sides, you know? Yeah. And it's interesting, of course, to see 10,000 people in a protest, but since like, no, we can't get 500 people in a room for church, you know? It, it yeah. And, and I think too, you have the luxury and we would have that luxury too. Of the sky is not falling. I assume your givings are decent. You've got more people than you've ever had before. They're connecting. What are some things, how have you, let's start here. How have you changed your services or have you changed them at all uh, with the reality of online only and then these watch parties, which are physically distanced gatherings of 50 people or less? No, so those aren't physically distanced. Oh, 50 can you be, be like, that's arm why arm. we started doing them. In Montana right now, 50 people with no socially distance. You don't have to wear a mask. You don't have to keep six feet away. So they're hugging, they're knuckle bumping. We have sanitizer out and stuff like that. But if it's 50, there's, there's not rules. Oh, great. Okay. Good to know. So, um, but have you made changes in your service format? Not really. I mean, we developed uh, a a more robust pre-show so that people who jump on earlier were were able to pull in viewers into the Skypes or, you know, check in with, with, with small groups. And, you know, so that's been really fun. That's been more robust. Um, and then I've uh, done the giving more often. You know, I don't normally lead the giving, uh, but I feel mm. like a connection uh, from 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 my my wife and I to to those who are partnering with us in the ministry. I feel like maybe that's been with a little more intentionality. That might be out of fear, you know, which founded or not is is a real thing. Like the need to like, uh, let me get, get me in front of the, the the givers. Let me make sure I'm sharing my heart with them. I get that instinct. Uh, yep. Those instincts aren't always right though. You know, it's funny mm-hmm. you, you, you think, so then now we've, we've eased that up even. I haven't done the, I've did the offering for, for, for several weeks in a row. Um, but now I've, it's, we're, we're, we're utilizing our other pastors on staff and other team members to do that more often. Um, although it's funny that they'll come to me like, Hey, we think you should do the giving this weekend. It's like, even that I'm like, that's because I kind of probably put that in place that, that, that they saw that knee jerk reaction to do it in critical moments. So then that's even how they're, they're, they're coming to me with. So having to retrain retrain some of those things that I've allowed and, you know, cast new vision. Uh, that's cool. Uh, what are your staff doing these days? What have you got them redeployed to doing? Uh, well, our central staff hasn't skipped a beat. I mean, as, as, a, as a church with local staffs in the churches and then a central team, um, 
I, I think so much fell on the central team right away, especially the audio, video, creative, you know, those, those roles became mm-hmm. more important than ever. You know, they're like defying, well, we didn't, we didn't ever have to defy because, you know, we're allowed to, to send the broadcasting team in and stuff like that. But, um, the, the real dilemma was to, um, try and stop ourselves from unnecessarily creating busy work for the local staffs. We almost even just kind of were like, Hey, look, we'd rather you be more rested when, when life does pick back up, than you know, rearrange these bobbles and then tear them out and rearrange them again. Like almost like we need you to feel busy. It would almost be better for them to lean into a restful season somewhat than to, to be frenetically, you know, just doing something out of a twitchy need to just be busy. Ah, that's good. You know, I, I haven't heard that answer. That's a that's a really uh, refreshing response. What about online engagement? As you've attracted more and more people, how have you tracked with them? Have you gotten to know anybody? What are you doing to encourage engagement over just say viewing or casual observing? Well, in response to your your comment about you haven't heard that before, that came the hard way. We were talking to a couple that we bumped into. Um, I don't even know how my wife and I did. Uh, and they said, man, uh, our campus pastor checked in with us like nine times last week, you know? And <laughs> I think leave me alone. They, they were almost I'm, saying like, we're good. Changed, we're okay. Right. Yeah. And so I told that story on a staff meeting jokingly and just said something like, you know, uh, you know, yes, we want to, we, we want, I, we want to be checking in with the people, but at the same time, I don't want you to feel a pressure that, if you're not always doing something, your, your, your job's on the line. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like, that's not how we're thinking. When you, when a football team has an athlete on the bench for a while, they're still Mm. part of the team, you know, they'll come back in eventually, you know? So they're chat hosting and doing that sort of thing. And they were, they were, they were coming up with ideas and different things like that. But in my mind, it wasn't like, I wanted them to know in my mind, it wasn't like out of sight, out of mind, or because your, your role right now isn't one that, uh, is, uh, even not, not, not unnecessary, but the kicker's not waste, wasting space on the bench just because he's not kicking, you know, you, you get called in eventually, you know, that I wanted everyone to have that breath of <sighs> exhale. Um, but in response to your, your second question, um, we shifted our, our church assimilation class to, uh, we, we wanted to, we talked forever about an online version of it, <laughs> but this was okay, let's scramble. And so we, 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 we created an online module where you could go through our church membership and, and all of that and begin serving. And so that's, that's something we wanted to do forever, but we had the impetus to really figure it out now. And so that's been amazing to be able to, to put people through it and even figure out what it looks like to be a part of it when you don't live anywhere near geographically where our church is at. So we'll have someone go through it in Pennsylvania and now they start serving and they're an online host serving, giving, they're a part of our church. They've signed the, you know, the, um, the charter that whatever our document is, the code of conduct, you know, and they're, they're part of our church now, but they don't live anywhere near where we do. That's amazing. That's what, uh, one of my theories is that there's what I call market consolidation or economists call market consolidation happening where, you know, again, your church based in the Midwest or the West coast is now now got people who actively affiliate, but they're in Pennsylvania. Any sense that that may be what's happening to some of your online audience, like it's non-geographic specific and that there's consolidation where churches are, 
or Christians are, are uh, moving allegiances to new congregations, new pastors. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I have a lot of mixed thoughts, Carrie. You know, it's, I, this is what wakes me up at two in the morning. You know, I, I have a fear of it a lot. And I think that's probably why we didn't do it, you know, for years because of just the risk of, um, of celebrating mm. transfer growth and, uh, and, you know, being and patting ourselves on the back because someone, uh, you know, did the local expression of, 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 of the body of Christ to watch, uh, our mm. online broadcast. And, and maybe they're not going to give the level of, um, of, of discipleship and having authority in their lives that they would need to, to really become a meaningful part of the body of Christ. I, I I'm concerned about, um, someone who is maybe, um, just wanting to buck authority or maybe they were in a situation where they were, you know, unkind to their, 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 their spouse or whatever. And the, the pastor maybe said something. And so now it's like, well, we're not going to use church anymore. And so they just watch, they watch yeah. Fresh Life online. Like I think about these things and I'm concerned about them, but what I have seen in, um, I guess I can't let fear keep me from moving forward hmm. in faith. You know, I have the faith of if someone is a part and is serving, I can't keep that from happening even in our churches. You know, there are some people who even, even in physical churches who are un, unwilling to yield to authority. So I, it, I have a lot of conflicted emotions when I think about the bigger picture. I was talking about this in January. I gave a talk at Passion 2020 and I talked about part of my concern of church online is to be shallowly going to lots of churches uh, but you can change the channel anytime the preacher says something that steps on your toes and what that Pandora's box is going to look like down the road. And I compared it to the dust bowl that swept through the country. And, you know, so then this now is like that on an entirely different level. But of course, there was always that risk. And there is also the opportunity for there to be genuine life change, genuine um, your heart resonates with a ministry's heartbeat and you get to be a meaningful part of it regardless of where in the country or world you live. I think that's a tension we're in right now and that's a great articulation of it, Levi. And I know lots of people because I read the comments on my platform and other platforms all the time who would say, and that's exactly the problem with what you're doing, right? You're online, you're consolidating all these people who, you're right, can change the channel the moment you say something that they don't like. On the And, and, and on the one hand, they're right. On the other hand, it's happening. So what do you do, right? Like you're not going to stop the internet. You're not going to stop church online and you're not going to stop the future from getting here. And in some ways, I think our theology and our ecclesiology has to catch up with what's actually happening. And I think that's a really good articulation of it. Well, what gave me kind of um, peace to move forward with declaring someone who's online attending a part of our church was that parable about the angel's job of separating the the sheep from the goats Mm. at the end of the age. And that if we try and do it now, you'll rip up the weed with the weeds. You know, that's, that's God's job. And I, I, it's so funny that I have to learn this lesson so often, but an incredible sense of peace comes from the remembering that God is Mm. God and we're not. And anytime I'm trying to like control something or I don't understand, I, I can't mitigate the risk. Therefore I'm leery to move forward. It's, it's like, God's like, Hey, tap, tap, tap. Remember this thing called sovereignty. And in the moment I begin to, to need to control, you know, I'm ignoring him. And, and so that's given me great peace. Hmm. 
Uh, would love you. You mentioned volunteering a couple times, so I sign on with Fresh Life Church and I commit to volunteering. Uh, and right now, you only have digital options and watch parties. What? <laughs> what does that look like? Like in a digital church? So I become a permanent digital attender of Fresh Life Church from Pennsylvania, from Toronto, mm-hmm. wherever. What does volunteering look like in that reality? Well, one of the biggest things that, that we care about is. Um, is the revival, the revitalization of the city that you live in. And so in Nehemiah, uh, every worker was called to work at the part of the wall that was in front of his own house. So we place a great emphasis on the idea of serving within your community. So for example, next week we're mailing out, uh, shirts every year we send a new shirt out. That's a, a shirt you wear when you're doing, you know, community service. And we have this old fashioned, crazy belief that community service is not punishment, but it's actually a privilege. It's an, it's an honor. I know judges can assign it like, Oh, you've been bad. You have to do community service. But it's like, no, hold on a second. The church should be at the front of, of serving communities. And the book of Jeremiah says in the, in the peace of the city that you live in, you will have peace. So it started for us in 2010. I went to the mayor. We were then one church. uh, We were two churches. Then I went to the mayor of the city that we broadcast from and just said, you know, we have several thousand people attending this church. How can we help? What's in your heart? What do, you, what, what do you not have budget for that you want to do? And she gave us some things and we picked those off that summer. And we were like, oh, we could do this more. And then we started giving out outreach grants and, you know, we quickly, you know, it grew and scaled. And so, you know, now we've given out millions of dollars and, and thousands upon thousands upon thousands of, of man hours. And so if you, if you serve in Philadelphia, not only are you able to be an online greeter and, you know, be in Zoom small groups through the week, but we are going to give you the tools and the challenge to get out to the parks and rec department, to do blood drives, to actually be serving as the church in the city so that the, the place that we live in might become a more beautiful um, and, 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 and a healthy place. Uh, I love that vision. And you know what? In the same way that multi-site scales to different cities and different states, like you and many other uh, pastors have, theoretically, you know, what's the difference between Portland and Philadelphia, right? Just a couple thousand miles. That's all, right? That's about it. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's... Um, it's hard to think about, but right now the paradigm is changing. You know, we were one church in 13 locations and now, you know, we're at this moment, we're one church in 3000 or uh, I don't even know how many locations Mm. we would be in, you know, across the continental United States and then around the world. But, um, the same things apply and it's caused us to go, okay, this, this ongoing sanctification, this, this growth and maturing and even challenging in, in, um, in, in people's lives as needed, it can work on the internet when you, when it had to. So can it continue to work when it doesn't have to? Mm. Um, love to run this hypothetical by you. Let's just say it's not happening anytime soon, but all the virus is cured. Um, uh, everything goes back to normal to the point where we can gather as many people as we want. Air traffic's normal. People are back in restaurants, the whole deal. The fear of the virus is gone. And you just reopen Fresh Life Church across all locations. What will be different moving forward? Like, do you think that this has permanently changed the way you see or approach ministry? Is there anything you will do differently than you were doing pre-COVID? I I would think we will never approach um, things the same way again. 
I think, um, honestly, I think the, out of the scope and scale of all that we're doing, I think that the in-person gatherings in our minds will be somewhat like the traditional service that many churches used to offer. You know, this is our services. And for those who like the old school, we have a traditional service. Now I'm not belittling the, 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 our 13 churches that have worship experiences in buildings and all of that, but I very much see it as that is going to be a, a, a component of a much larger vision. I feel like God is opening our eyes to see the blue ocean of opportunity of seeing, um, regardless of where you live, you can be a part of it. You can be resourced, you can be equipped and you can be sent, uh, that happening on such a grand scale that, that the 13 locations we had going into this with a, oh yeah, we have a church online also is almost now like we have a church online and we have some, some brick and mortar locations. All I definitely feel like it's caused me to look at everything in a completely backwards fashion. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I couldn't agree more. And I think that's a, a wonderful articulation because I've talked a lot about church online. I get beat up. It's like, well, the church is going to gather, gather, gather. But to me, it almost feels, and I've used this analogy at Connexus Church with some of our leaders, it feels to me like if you've ever been to a taping of The Tonight Show or something like that, it's like, you know, that's something that millions of people watch. Uh, but there's only 400 people in the audience. And I almost wonder if that's what the church of the future will be like, that there's a studio audience or a studio congregation, so to speak, that's gathered, uh, but most of the people will be intermittently attending physical gatherings, and uh, a lot will just simply be online. Um, any other thoughts on that that uh, that might help inform how you're seeing the future? Yeah, I think so. I think... Um that's an interesting way to look at it. I mean, I guess the, the, the tonight show, um, people are consuming where so long as as leaders, our perspective is the equipping, right? That's always been our job, the equipping of the saints to do the ministry. Yeah. It's a major, but the scale of it is, is what you're talking about. And I, I think that's where we need to be thinking. Yeah. I'm talking about 400 people in the room and a million people watching or whatever, whatever that would be, as opposed to we're thinking, like you said, everybody has to be in the room and then there's a few people watching, which actually wasn't true pre-COVID. Like, I'm sure your online audience was already bigger than your in-person audience pre-COVID, was it? Yeah. 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 Oh, for sure. For sure, for sure. To a, to a multiple, uh, you know, that when you add in, um, I mean, you'd have 30,000 people listening a week just on Spotify pre-COVID. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like when you have, you, there's hardly that many people in the state of Montana. You know what I'm saying? But, um, joking. Uh, but you, we, I definitely thought of our online ministry as an important, but auxiliary component of what we were doing. Whereas now I see it as being the thing we are doing and, uh, the, the physical gatherings, a component of it. Yeah. I, I think God has been more and more bringing me to that place. No, I, th- I think that's great. It's almost like the church has become a digital default church, that that is now our starting point. Do you think that'll impact your staffing long-term, how you staff the church? No doubt. I mean, I never I, I never um, want to any, make any absolute thing, but I do see, um, I just, I wonder if we will continue opening brick-and-mortar locations. Mm-hmm. That is... Uh, I'm trying to envision 
you know, um, when we could have 30 watch parties in a city, why we would want to go in and, and, and build another one. Like, I just don't know. I mean, maybe it'll all in two years from now, we'll be like, Oh, can you believe we ever thought that? But at this point right now, just the scalability, the flexibility and the way that in a, in a, in a, in a group size of 30 or a hundred or whatever people, people really can know each other to a, to a large degree, be even held accountable better than in a, 2000 person, you know, environment. It is really interesting, you know, when you think about it, because it'd be tempting to look at the watch parties as a band-aid strategy until you can get to a building again. But what if that became a permanent expression of just the way that people were gathering? Fascinating. Yeah. I mean, look, what isn't the largest church on earth kind of structured that way? Yeah. I mean, isn't that Korean church, the million person church, isn't it kind of more, they only come together uh, in, 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 in like for very special occasions in large groups. And for the rest of the mm-hmm. time, they're in these house churches. I mean, it's, it's kind of exciting to think well, about what scales. that can look like when you add in the digital component. Yeah. It scales and you don't have nearly, nearly the costs associated with it. Right. Because you look at, and, and, and I think your context, because when you've been on the show before and we've connected, we talked about that, right? Like you don't have multi-thousand seat places. You're going into small towns, smaller communities, smaller venues, but it still costs you hundreds of thousands or sometimes millions of dollars to open up a location. Whereas you could put $100,000 into a few watch parties and well, I don't even know what you do with that kind of money in a few watch parties, but like you know what I'm saying? It just scales at a much bigger level if you could start to think about the paradigm differently. No doubt. I mean, you're talking about um, criminal background checks. You're talking about muffins. <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, what you're you're really what your really cost is, and uh, and then staff to resource and equip and and be shepherding, and you know you you'd have cluster pastors. You know, I think it's very exciting. And then that global vision rolls out on a on a much bigger scale potentially than had you been thinking only in terms of. Uh, what you could do in a city. I don't think it'll ever replace that. And I think whether it's, you know, coming together monthly or whatever, I, I still think there's something very special that the Holy Spirit blesses mm-hmm. about gatherings. Um, but I, I do think it, it, that it changes uh, the limiting factors maybe have been removed. Anything else about the future church, Levi, that you're thinking about? Knowing that all of our thinking's in pencil, it's very wet cement right now, but anything else you're thinking about the future church or the future of your church? I wonder um, what this is going to do. I mean, we've been seeing such a migration towards cities, people leaving rural, people leaving small town to get to cities. And uh, I just wonder right now, I mean, we've, we found out what happens when you live 30 bodies deep, stacked 100 stories tall in a building, you know? And I just, I wonder if we're not going to see, I know we're for sure seeing in Montana an incredible, I, I, I was having dinner a socially distant dinner uh, with some people. And uh, I sat next to a realtor and I was like, hey, has this been a good break for you? Because a bit break. It's been the busiest I've ever worked in my entire life. And I go, what do you mean? People buy new homes. It's economically not seemingly to be a time when people are wanting to do it. He goes, Atlanta, Dallas, LA, you know, he rattled off the lot. And he goes, that was today. I showed houses to people, you know? And so, there's, there's a lot of people, I think, wanting to move to Colorado. Wanting to, I think the appeal of, of middle America uh, is, is definitely going to be post-COVID something that people are going to be thinking about. Now that you can work remotely, yeah. you know, why not? 
I've talked to a number of CEOs who have basically left the major cities and they and their teams are now, you know, in some rural community that barely has internet. And they're like, actually, this works. Like they're, they're shocked. So uh, I wonder if that's really going to change the game for a lot of urban churches, but also for the rural ones. Like we kind of live, we're in, I say Toronto because no one knows where we live. But like we live kind of in the middle of nowhere and you already saw a little bit of a, uh, a flight out of the city. But if the commute's gone and the Internet's good, you may have solved a major problem. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, we've always kind of Fresh Life has defied somewhat those, you know, sort of statistics on the, the, the idea of a large church springing up in a very small city. Um, you know, on our biggest Sunday we ever had, we had, you know, one out of 20 people in, in the city, in church, in person. And that's incredible. It is. And, 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 and to think, um, now it's a different, it's a, it's a, it's a completely different, you know, playing field when we can reach and, and, and weaponize for the kingdom people, regardless of where they live, um, big city or rural cities. And uh, so it's very exciting. So you got a brand new podcast with your wife, Jenny, called Hey, It's the Lust Goes. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that and why you started it, what it's about? I'm, I'm just fascinated. Well, Jenny and I uh, always have, have kind of had in, in the back of our, of, our, of our minds the idea of just a, a complete freeform podcast. So we don't really have a script. We just completely kind of just talk what we're going through, what we're learning, what we're seeing. You know, we, we may pull in some content here and there that we hope would be, you know, kind of in, in, at some point in the podcast, something we bring up, sometimes we get to the end of it. We never, we never do. Uh, so it's been really fun just to talk marriage and hopefully let people in who have listened to us speak or read books we've written, but, to, to hear it on a more, you know, conversational, just here's what we're going through kind of a level. Oh, that's neat. That's neat. And you've got a new resource coming out this summer too, that I'd love for you to talk to leaders about in August. So sort of a book, sort of a journal, sort of a study. Can you, can you tell us about it, Levi? Yes. So when I wrote my first book through the eyes of a lion, it was all about grief. And then my third book was all about emotional intelligence and self-management. And long story short, I had taken a test that would supposedly tell you your level of emotional intelligence. And I didn't do nearly (laughs) as well as I thought I would. And I was kind of crestfallen. So that uh, led me to a several year journey to improve it because it said, if you take six months, you can take the test again and see how you do. And I I worked hard on on some of the things that I was low, my points that were low in, and um, and by the end of it, I, I brought my score up dramatically. And that that particular stu- study that motivated me was the uh, the statistic is fifty seven percent of success in any endeavor comes down mm-hmm. to emotional intelligence. And uh, I thought, gosh, if I'm if I'm this weak, how much of a how much better could I doing it by showing up this blind spot? That led to that that two year long journey where I was working on the book. And well, working on myself and then eventually all, all that I learned, I put into the book. Um, so emotional intelligence and grief, my publisher approached me and said, we feel like those two messages really could lead to something that people who are going through hard things, but also wanting to better themselves. It could be a, a way to take those messages deeper. So we kind of came up with, um, this book, it's called take back your life. It's a 40 day interactive journey to thinking right. So you can live right. And what it does is it takes you through content that, that is among the most salient truths expressed in the books, but then also questions to take it further, prayers to pray. There's space for meditation. There's a section called uh, Breathe, Think, and Live, mm. just because of how powerful it is to slow down and breathe. And 
then think and then act. And so it's hardcover. I'm, I've, I've never been published in hardcover. It has a ribbon, which I, I love books with ribbons because ribbon, then you can save really your place cool. from yesterday. So anyhow, that comes out. Well, it's out now. Sorry. It's out August. So yeah, yeah. By the time this airs, it'll be out. August 4th. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And what are you and Jenny learning about? Because she's an author now. She's got her own book. So you're doing podcasts together. She's very involved in the pastoring of your church. And now you're both authors, published authors. What are you learning about being two creatives, being married, raising a family in leadership together? Not both of us should be writing a book at the same time. We learned that. <laughs> Good lesson. There's only room in a house for one tortured artist. Uh, so we learned that the, the hard way. Uh, but we also, um, well, I'm in awe of her. My wife is an incredible leader. Uh, her, her, she's got such a gentle spirit. Um, so she's been just stepping into a new space. And it's been tremendous for me to watch that happen. She took a series at our church and preached for a whole series, which she had never done before. She had done the, you know, odd Sunday here, Mother's Day or, you know, whatever. But she did four messages back to back to back. And the fir- after the first message, she broke her ankle. <sighs> so she did a month of Sundays while leading, while parenting, while dealing with all the normal things, but also in a boot with crutches. And so, but it was, it was incredible to watch her spirit shine in such difficult circumstances. Oh, uh, that's awesome. And that is a great lesson for any aspiring creatives. Do not both write a book at the same time. We have attempted that as well. And I think not having kids at home is a good uh, remedy for that. But man. But it almost, you know, when you're writing and you get done with the day writing, you almost want to be able to come back, you know, like almost as though you're walking away from the typewriter and have your spouse be like, here's some tea. You're, you got this. You did a great job. But when the other one's, you know, doing the same thing and bo- you're both needing that emotional <laughs> energy to come from each other, like almost like, oh, you made it through a day writing. Good job, honey. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's, I think it's better to alternate releases a little bit. I think that's a really good idea. So publishers take note. Levi, it's always a joy to talk to you yeah. and to talk to Jenny. I want to thank you so much for encouraging leaders. If people want to find uh, sort of the central hub for you online, where's the best place to send them? What website? You know, I don't even know that question. I think probably Fresh Life Church, or I think I do have a website somewhere. <laughs> and you're a great I'm follow joking. on Instagram yeah. too. So, Ooh, controversial these days, but it is what it is. Hey. Levi, really appreciate you. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me, Carrie. Boy, don't you just love Levi? And wasn't that a great like preview of the future church? I really think that's where things are going from where I can see. If you want more, uh, we have it for you. You can go to kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 359. We'll get everything for you there, including transcripts and show notes and highlights and Uh, Links to our partners if you're driving or running listening to this and you want to check out ProMedia Fire or you want to check out Glue. uh, Well, we've got those links for you as well to make it easier. So in a moment, I'm going to talk to you in the What I'm Thinking About segment about why sabbaticals don't work, in my view. And before you get mad, hear me out. And uh, why your time off probably isn't going to de-stress you this summer. And so we'll talk about that. But in my next episode, I want you to hear this first. Here is an excerpt from my conversation with Belay founder, Brian Miles. Imagine if you and I were to go have a cup of coffee together. And I just said, hey, hold on one quick second. And then I dropped a sheet down between the middle of us. Where you couldn't see me, but we were having that meeting. Like you would, that would be unacceptable, right? Well, somehow we'd let people do that on Zoom. You know, you're right. 
I'm just going to not be here and I'm going to get the credit for being here. And you're not going to see me while I, you know, check my Instagram account or, you know, full laundry or whatever the thing is you might be doing. Right. And so that to me communicates I'm not present. And so we just made a decision several years ago that if you're on a Zoom call, you're present. I can see you. Brian and I talk about virtual teams and so much more. And of course, as a subscriber, you get that absolutely for free. Brian and his wife, Shannon, are also becoming serial entrepreneurs. They own multiple businesses and we talk about that. So it's just good to have Brian back on the podcast next time. Also coming up, we've got Kathy Heller, Chris Hogan, Gordon McDonald. Uh, let's see who else. Danielle Strickland. Man, we did that like a thousand years ago and we're finally bringing it to you and Lecrae. So uh, pump for that. Now, for what I'm thinking about, which is brought to you by Glue. You can learn more about your particular church's online audience, like stuff you wouldn't believe, by going to glueinsights.com forward slash carry. That's G-L-O-O insights.com forward slash carry. And if you need some digital media help because your team's maxed out, go to promediafire.com forward slash carry. Get 10% off plans for life. And remember, an entire creative suite of professionals for less than the cost of a staff hire happens when you check out that link at promediafire.com forward slash carry. So here's what I'm thinking about. Your time off. Uh, I know you're listening to this in summer. Some of you are back, but a lot of you have like, you know, a few more weeks and you're like, we got to get to the beach. We got to get to the mountains. And you feel like you really need to de-stress. And, and to be totally honest, you're kind of nervous about the fall because you're like, if I run as hard as I ran this spring, like I'm toast by Christmas. So a lot of us live for our time off. And I've been thinking a lot about this over the years because of course, you know, I burned out years ago and uh, I don't ever want to do that again. And I don't want you to do that. So here's my conclusion these days. Time off doesn't work as a solution to your stress. And why not? Because it's an artificial construct. I mean, you go to this amazing place, whether it's a staycation or a beach or a resort or wherever you go, the mountains, camping, it doesn't matter, but you get this artificial thing where all the pressures kind of melt away and you're like, oh, now I'm de-stressed. But then you go immediately back. Like how many times in your holidays have you gone back, like day one of going back and you're exhausted by 11 a.m. and you're like, I feel like I wasn't even away. And you're like, what was that? See, the problem isn't how you spend your time off. The problem is how you spend your time on. And if your time on is unsustainable, all the time off in the world isn't gonna help you. Time off won't heal you when your problem is how you spend your time on. And the problem for most of us is we spend our time on in an unsustainable way. So, you know, uh, when you're exhausted, how you spend your time off doesn't actually solve anything because the problem isn't what you did when you were off, it's what you do when you're on. And the initial stages of a crisis require long hours and hard decisions, but when you head into a prolonged crisis, you kind of need a new strategy. So this is also why sabbaticals and leaves generally don't solve burnout. Now, they can be good if you want to study, you want to rest, you want to restore, that's great. But if you have an unsustainable pace, a sabbatical isn't the solution. A sustainable pace is the solution for an unsustainable pace. When your living and leading is broken, then all the time off in the world won't fix it. So, you know, I, I've seen so many times where people take time off for a sabbatical. They're like, okay, I was almost burnt out. Now I'm fine. I'm going to be great. And then they get back and they're gone in a year. Why? Because the sabbatical was wonderful and maybe they got a lot better, but then they went into an unsustainable tempo. And a sabbatical isn't the solution for an unsustainable pace. 
a sustainable pace is a solution. So what's going to help? Well, I'm going to share one idea with you that can help. And this is something I developed on the other side of burnout. I call it categorical decision making because as a leader all day long, what do you do? You make decisions, right? It's like decision, decision, decision. By 9 a.m. you've made 10 decisions. By noon you've made 50 and you're like, ah, I'm tired of decisions. Well, and, and they can get overwhelming because it's like, well, should I do this or should I do that? Or should I see this person or should I say that person? So years ago, I started thinking categories and categorical decision-making has helped me so much because what I do is I just think of categories. So let me give you an example. As our church grew, and this may not be the right solution for you, I just decided I'm, I'm not gonna do weddings. And the reason I didn't do weddings was because Saturdays was when my wife and kids were home and I wanted to spend time with them. Now, we had a system for people who wanted to get married, et cetera, but I'm like, I'm not doing weddings. So it was easy when someone said, will you do my wedding? It's like, actually, I've made that decision already. No, I won't. Same with funerals, because when you have a big church, you know, you've got to create a system for that. And that started even when our churches were really small because I was the local, like, you know, I was Presbyterian at the time, Presbyterian guy. And if somebody who hadn't been to church in 20 years you know, wanted a Presbyterian funeral. I know that sounds like the 90s because it was the 90s. Uh, they would call me. And as our church started to grow, that was one of the first categorical decisions I made. I'm like, I only do funerals for people in our church. And then, you know, when our church got much bigger, it was like, okay, I have to be really selective about that. Pastoral visitation is a categorical decision. Uh, here's one that's simpler, breakfast meetings. I'm most productive in the morning. Generally, I do not do breakfast meetings. You might eliminate lunch meetings or even meetings over an hour or much more. You see, when you start to think in categories, then your decision is already made. So when COVID hit, in my company now, I had a lot of internal decisions to make. Uh, we had to make sure that this survived, the podcast survived, all that stuff. The revenue model still worked, which, you know, we're committed to free to you. So that's, we had to make sure all that worked. And then even though I got a year of speaking canceled almost overnight, requests started to pour in. Free webinars. We do this webinar. Will you do a podcast interview? I had media calling about some pieces I was writing. We'd be on CBS News, etc. And so we just, you know, we got overwhelmed and inundated. And, and, and then I made a decision because I had stuff to focus on. I'm not doing any outside interviews, media, podcasts. I'm not doing any webinars. I'm not doing any online events. And uh, that made it easier because then we knew by default the answer was no. So categorical decision-making frees up your bandwidth. Not only do you eliminate a lot of decision fatigue, but um, for you and your team, it becomes much easier to do that. Now, the question I always get is, well, Carrie, do, do you make exceptions? And yeah, sometimes I do. Like if you're my best friend and you're like, will you do this event? Yes, but I only have a couple of best friends. So, <laughs> you know, that makes it easy. Or what about a wedding? It's like, well, if you're my niece, yeah, I'll participate in your wedding. Or if you're on my staff, yeah, I'll do your wedding. But that, that like eliminates it to 20 people. So, you know, and, and not all of them get married every year. So, you know, you're down to one or two times a year where you're like, yeah, I'm going to do that wedding. Or yeah, okay, I'll do that webinar. But you see how categorical decision-making can help. So I hope that helps you. If you want more along these lines, I've got a free email that sends you daily doses of, uh, well, wisdom like this. And we've got a course right now called Lead a Better Team. And if you want to learn more about that, uh, you can just text the word Carrie, my name, C-A-R-E-Y to 33777. And uh, that'll take you to a link that can subscribe. you can subscribe, get a daily dose of leadership wisdom. You can join 70,000 leaders who get that in their inbox every morning. All right, guys, thank you so much. I really appreciate you. And I hope this conversation was as life-giving to you as it was to me. And I do hope our time together today 
has helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.